Well, good evening. Welcome once again to Line Online. It's good to see all of you, all of you that I can see, that is. Anyway, tonight uh, we have our ministry spotlight sort of as a regular part of our service on Line Online. Once a month, we want to focus in on one of our ministries here at Calvary. And the reason that we want to do this is so that Uh, First of all, you can see what's actually happening here. I mean, at a church our size, it's pretty easy to get lost in the fray. But then also, uh, you're able to find out how you can pray more specifically for a ministry as well as your personal involvement in that ministry. So with that said, uh, tonight we're focusing on the kids' ministry, and I think we have a little video prepared for you. The ministry that takes place in the main sanctuary is often the main focus of what takes place at Calvary. But there is much more teaching taking place in this building. Each week at Calvary, hundreds of young lives are touched by the love of God and the sharing of His Word. Children's ministry uh, plays a very important part here at Calvary Chapel. We have nearly uh, 2,000 children, if you can believe it, that go through our doors every week. Uh, The philosophy that we have with the kids here is very simple. We just want to connect kids with God. And we think one of the most important ways you do that is you minister to the kids at their age level. So obviously what we do with a fifth grade student is going to be very different than what we do with, say, a two-year-old. And because of that, the kids really learn a program that's based upon their age. Hundreds of volunteers assist the Calvary staff and organize an effective ministry. The heart of the people who are working here, they love the Lord, they want to serve Him, and their desire is to see the children grow and blossom and totally mature in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are plenty of opportunities in the children's ministry to work, music or teaching or just helping out. We have toy washers. We have so many different things that people can do to volunteer or just to serve the Lord that way. And the outside play area at Calvary is also getting a makeover, and this project should be completed this summer. If you'd like to be part of the Calvary Kids Connection, stop by their office and find out more information or get an application at the Connection Center. That's fun. Well, in case you don't know, our guest tonight is our children's pastor, Alan Brooks. Would you please welcome me? Thank you, thank you. So, I'm still drying off, Dave. There's probably not much going on in your neck of the woods, is there, Alan? Well, not this week. It's kind of laid back. We have 555 kids in for Vacation Bible School this week. So. Wow. Well, what's your theme this year? I know every year you have some type of uh, theme. What's the theme this year? Well, the theme was not hard to pick out because one of my personal passions is a sport called scuba diving. And I uh, saw a curriculum uh, earlier uh, this year that was being offered by a company called Scuba has a little different meaning than the traditional meaning. It actually stands for Super Cool Undersea Bible Adventure. And that's actually the theme for VBS. Well, I know that um, 
It's a far cry from the days of... Is that you, That's Alan? me, by the way. Now, that wasn't you in the dunk tank. Uh, yes, that was me, too. Now, what are you doing here? Are you swimming? Is that sharks? Uh, that's actually a shark dive that we did in preparation for vacation Bible school. Oh. Well, I know that... I'm right over there. Dealing with some you know, of the you have kids... To go, you have to go all out when you're working with kids, Dave. Yeah, I can see uh, dealing with some of the kids, I can see that it's like dealing in uh, shark-infested waters. Uh, I'm mesmerized. I'm amazed. If you've ever been to a two-year-old class, it's a lot like that. <laughs> um, Alan, in your experience here at the, at the church, um, you serve in a lot of different capacities, but primarily uh, you deal with the development of young minds. I mean, what do you feel is really the thrust of the ministry that God's called you to as a children's pastor? Well, I would have to say that I... I work with young minds mainly through older minds because uh, the opportunity I have is really to work with the shepherds, uh, what you might call teachers traditionally, that work with the kids and uh, hopefully invest in them in a way that they see that how God's working in their own life to minister to the kids. Well, you know, our service tonight, a Bible study, is going to be on uh, the topic that we spoke on last week, and that's about servants and serving. And besides being a pastor and a father and a member of this congregation, you, your, primary, your primary role is that of a servant in the kingdom of heaven. What are some of the challenges you face um, in your service here? Well, you know, that's, that's something that's actually near and dear to my heart. If anybody's ever gotten a letter from me, I sign all of my letters a servant of King Jesus. In fact, uh, the kids' ministry T-shirt, one of which I'm wearing right now, says the same thing. And, uh, you know, this idea of being a servant, uh, in fact, I think you're drawing from some of your message from Warren Wiersbe, yes. you know, on being a servant of God. And, you know, that book spoke to me many years ago about something that I felt was essential in the body of Christ. In fact, in our children's ministry logo, if you'll look, there's actually four words that go around the outside of it. And the first step we believe for a child or for an adult, for that matter, is to know Christ as their Savior followed up by growing in a relationship with him as their Lord, learning how to submit to him and walk as he's called them to. And I believe that involves serving. In fact, I believe personally that if you'll show me a Christian that's not serving in the body of Christ, I'm showing you somebody that's not growing in a walk with Jesus Christ. And I believe the fourth step of sharing is really a natural progression of the third step. If I'm growing in a relationship with Jesus as Lord, I'm serving him, then it's very natural that I'm going to be sharing with other people about what he's doing in my life. And I have the opportunity to evangelize. Well, you can see that God's really using you there. Now, in, in the midst of shark-infested waters, um, as ministry can be at times, uh, God has for us hidden rewards maybe that are not necessarily seen in the beginning as we enter into service. What have some of those rewards been for you? Well, a, a reward that's really, frankly, kind of hard to speak about is that uh, I'm blessed to work with nearly a thousand servants of King Jesus. And these are people that give of their time and of their energy and of their gifts in the children's ministry. And, and I am so blessed and so loved, I feel, by that group of people that that's beyond my wildest of imaginations. Uh, I, I, I cannot even start to describe the way that impacts me, the love that I feel from those people. And, and the challenge you asked me about earlier is that I feel so inadequate 
to that love. You know, I, I feel there's no way that I could ever measure up to the volume that's being given to me of it. So. Wow. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, Alan, I know that um, it takes a lot of manpower, woman power, kid power to run that big engine over there. And, uh, you know, assuming that there is still room for volunteers, uh, tell me, how would a person get involved in the kids' ministry? There's one or two spots, but they're going fast, Dave. (laughs) Okay. You know, I have to tell you, in a lot of ways, we're really blessed. In fact, at some services, it's hard to actually get in to serve at those services because we're so well taken care of. We do have, in fact, you saw her on the video a little bit ago, we have a brand-new children's ministry worship director, Angie Cantrell, and that believe me, is such an answer to prayer within our ministry that you can't imagine. And she's going to bring some definition and some vibrancy to that ministry that really has been a struggle for me because that's not where my gifting is. And uh, that's an an awesome opportunity even within that area to get plugged in into kids' worship because that's going to be a huge uh, thing for us going forward in the next few months. Well, exciting times, Alan. Thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, Before we turn it back over to Marsh for another uh, song of worship, why don't we all join in prayer and just agree together, and let's pray for Alan and the kids' ministry and God's continued blessing on this very uh, valid and necessary ministry. Lord, we thank you for such an awesome privilege to serve you, King Jesus. And, Lord, uh, we thank you so much for Alan And just the gift and the giftedness and the abilities that you've given him to serve in such a unique and needed capacity. Lord, um, as you have developed servants and you've developed uh, a curriculum and a way of training up these young, tender minds, we pray, Lord, that the blessing that you've already given it would continue to be poured out upon this ministry and use it, Lord, and just develop these children, this next generation, into a group of people who will desire to know you equipped to go out and engage a lost and hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening. You're awfully quiet. That's good. I have an extra Bible here. I didn't bring it for any of you, though. Kind of selfish, actually, when you think about it. How many of you do have a Bible, by the way? How many of you actually read it? Great. Now, the Lord knows, okay? (laughs) Tonight we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. And uh, unless you had got one of the discount versions, your Bible should have that in there. And we're going to pick up in verse 14 and go all the way to verse 30. The title of our message this evening is, Well Done, Good and Faithful Servant. He starts out by saying this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And when he had received the five talents, he went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. 
And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. This his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You will faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received the two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received back money with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. From him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough topic. As we consider our own lives, as we consider the foundation that our lives are built upon, it causes us to question, are we truly servants of you? But Lord, you know. And whether we understand that you know everything or not, uh, Lord, is a personal revelation. And Lord, we pray that tonight, as we submit ourselves to you, that your spirit would not only convict us, but, Lord, enable us to see what is right and what is true. So that we, in turn, Lord, may be able to make changes in our lives that are necessary for lasting growth. Teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, words can have a very powerful impact on the mind of a person, wouldn't you say? Words can lift us up. Or words can bring us down. And there are certain phrases that everybody likes to hear. Correct? I'll name off just a few that I like to hear. Wow, you look great today. Another favorite always works. Um, Have you lost weight? (laughs) You know, as I look at you, you look so young. And by the way, You are so smart. You're one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And there's always the one that is a hit, which is, you are such a kind person. Now, thankfully, they don't tell us what kind of person we are, but actually, they would note that somehow we're kind, that is benevolent. And then there's the one that's just about the best compliment you can give, and that is, I wish I was like you. Now, I know that that's pushing it, but uh, some of you out there would even wish that someone would say, I wish that I was rich like you. Anyway, um, 
a few of you got the joke. You'll get refreshments after the service for that. (laughs) Just a little note. Let's not be uptight this evening. Let's uh, enjoy the evening. There may be some jokes cracked during the the process of this (laughs) event. Feel free to completely laugh and engage your senses as um, fellowship is, is fun. Now, there's phrases that no one likes to hear. And uh, first off, there's the, you look tired. And then the one that's always devastating and will almost always cost you a friend, especially if it's a woman or a wife. Um, and I've never said this because it's never true, but um, have you gained weight? Here's one that's always a favorite with your friends, and that is, you need to work in your character. Ooh, that was kind of rough, wasn't it? And then there's the favorite, you should probably see a doctor about that. And the one that no one likes to hear, I'm calling the police. (laughs) Now, in our text tonight, there are two phrases that should catch our attention. And the first is very positive, very desirable to the ears. The second places fear and insecurity in the hearts of all who read them. The first is found in verse 21 of this chapter where he says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, those are words that all of us want to hear when it comes to our time to stand before God in heaven, right? Those are kind of the choice, desirable words. As we move on down in verse 26, there's the opposite, the words that we never want to hear from the Lord. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. It gets worse in verse 30. He says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, last week, we learned that the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Correct? How many of you were here for that? The spiritual ones, no no doubt. We learned that Jesus' definition of greatness runs contrary to the world's view of what it means to be great. Building on the foundation that a believer's highest calling is that of a servant, we enter tonight's study asking the question, what is required of a servant of the Lord? So that now we know that, okay, first of all, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be a servant. And that was Jesus' example, wasn't it? He was great. He is the greatest. He's God in heaven, creator of all. And yet he stooped down so low that he would come and take care of a lost and sinful humanity. And by doing that, he is the greatest of all and gives us the greatest example of what true servanthood should be. I love what Warren Risby said in his book. Excuse me, there were two W's in that. Warren Wiersbe said, The trouble with too many of us is that we think God called us to be manufacturers when He really called us to be distributors. He alone has the resources to meet human needs. All we can do is receive His riches and share them with others. Gold and silver I do not have, Peter announced, but what I do have I give to you. 
When it comes to ministry, all of us are bankrupt and only God is rich. Now, there's four main sections to our text tonight. Verses 14 and 15, we see, first of all, the servant's responsibility. If you're taking notes, this is kind of a general outline for our service this evening. Second, in verse 16 and 18, we have the servant's response. And then moving on to verse 19 and 23, we see the servant's reward. And finally, in verse 24 through 30, we see the servant's rebuke. Now, let's think about our text for a minute. The text is a parable, and something that you need to know about parables is that they teach one main or primary moral lesson. It is not an allegory. An allegory, each little section has a unique meaning that engages uh, us as believers. But in this sense, a parable will teach a very moral primary meaning. And in in tonight's case, it, it speaks of a servant's usefulness and his faithfulness. Now, also we note that this is a kingdom parable connected to others in this section of Scripture. And this section of parables uh, speaks primarily of the Lord's soon return. Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. He's giving final instructions, his final week of life before he goes to to the cross. And as he does so, he speaks about a coming kingdom, a time when he will leave and then return. And in doing so, he gives us the parable of the ten virgins who uh, are caught, some of them not ready and others ready for the Lord or the bridegroom's return. And on the tales of that, we have this particular passage that speaks of the servant's readiness. Now, before we move any further, we need to realize that this kingdom of heaven that's spoken of here is not just a place that's located above the clouds. I don't know how many of you thought that, but that's not the case. In fact, the kingdom of heaven can be viewed from two different angles. First of all, this is the visible body of all redeemed or invisible body of all redeemed people. Um, The Lord used it in the sense when he declared, Truly I say to you that unless you are converted and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The idea is, is that there is a kingdom that is based upon his rules, his identity, and who he is as Lord and serves him as sovereign. And it is made up of all of those who are truly converted and born in his kingdom. Now the second is sometimes the kingdom of heaven is referred to as the visible or outward body of all of those who profess to know Christ. And that's the church as a whole. That's everybody who shows up in church can be considered the kingdom of heaven. Now, the distinction between these two will become more important further on in our study. Let's look at verse 14 and 15 at the servant's responsibilities. Verse 14, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on his journey. Now I have a quote here from John Wesley. He says, When the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world. He placed you here not as an owner, but as a steward. 
As such, he entrusted you for a reason with goods of various kinds, but the sole property of these still rests in him, nor can ever be alienated from him. As you are not your own but his, such is likewise all you enjoy. Everything that we have and possess and who we are belongs to God, whether you realize it or not. Now, just a little bit of background is necessary here. Jesus is using a very common analogy. You would have a wealthy businessman of the day who would go off and travel. I mean, that's usually kind of a sign of wealth is you're able to travel unless you're kind of a hobo and then you can travel a lot. But this is not the particular case. This guy was very wealthy, and he would probably go off to foreign lands to maybe buy and sell and uh, strike up new deals with, with certain people. And as he was leaving, he would entrust his investment capital to his servants. Now, the word that is used here for servant is doulos, which means slave. Important note here is that all of the goods that were entrusted to the servants belonged to the master. And all of the servants belonged to the master. No one here was literally a free agent. That's important to note. The servants in ancient world could enjoy considerable responsibility and authority. When we think of a servant, we think of some guy who's scrubbing floors, carrying out trash, and uh, you know, doing all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. But the truth of the matter was is that there were those who were bond servants who were brought into the employment being owned by a wealthy person who sometimes even had a greater education than the owner of the slaves or the master of the slaves himself. And these, as very refined stewards, were entrusted with the financial um, investments of this landowner. Now, the talents that are spoken of here are not the talents that are seen in modern English. Uh, the, the, the talents that are used or spoken of today speak for skills or mental powers that God has entrusted to men. But in the New Testament, the word uh, talenton was a unit of exchange, and the estimate worth was pretty incredible. First of all, a talent was a use of, of measurement, okay? What is, um, let's say, instead of saying a talent means that it's someone's great ability to play the piano or not play the piano, a talent was a measurement of weight. And oftentimes, uh, depending on what was being measured, gold, bronze, or silver, the value was much different. Now, it approximately weighed 75 pounds, okay? So he was giving them a piece of metal, entrusting them with a piece of metal that, one, weighed at least 75 pounds. And we're giving a hint in verse 18 that it was probably silver. For the word that is used there for money is also a word that is used for silver. If it was a silver talent, it would have an estimated worth on today's value of about $250,000. Now, this starts to change the way that we look at this, doesn't it? Because the first time you look at this, you think, man, what's the problem with this owner? And Jesus, why are you telling this tale anyway? Because, you know, you got this poor one guy who only has one talent. He only knows how to play the banjo. 
And then you got this other guy who has a lot of talents. He can play the banjo and piano and a lot of other stuff. And, you know, he's more talented. And at the end, the guy who has one talent doesn't do much with it. And so you even give his banjo talent to him. That's sort of in my modern um, hillbilly vernacular um, understanding of this. But when you understand that these were servants who were given money for investment capital, then you understand the, the intensity of the passage. <clears throat> he says, He gave to one five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. There are three servants and three different amounts given. The amount of investment capital given to each servant was direct proportion to his ability. Something that needs to be noted here is that every true servant of the Lord has abilities and spiritual endowments that match up or help facilitate his or her calling or assignment from the Lord. Let me read that again. Every true servant of the Lord has abilities and spiritual endowments that match or help facilitate his or her calling assignment from the Lord. Spurgeon said, These talents are anything and everything that our Lord has given us for use here as his stewards. William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was interviewed near the close of his life, and this is what he had to say. He said, God had all there was of me. There have been others who had greater plans, greater opportunities than I. But from the day that I got a vision of what God could do, I made up my mind God would have all there was of William Booth. Question. What has God given you and me to accomplish in this life for him. Some of you have a puzzled look on your face. It's okay. It's okay to have that puzzled look, but not forever. That has to change. You may be thinking, really, what is God calling me to do? And it's so easy for us to neglect or gloss over our everyday activity, everyday activity And look at those who may be pushed to the front of the Christian world and say, now that is a calling. Billy Graham and what he does, that is a calling. Or maybe even the Pope or someone of that stature, you think this person has a calling. But what has he entrusted to you and to me? Now, notice that one guy, he gave over a million and a quarter dollars. And he said, I want you to invest this. Another, he gave a half a million. And to one, he gave 250000 What has God given you? Health, finances, maybe a great personality, maybe a good mind. Those are your natural abilities. But what about your spiritual endowments? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? As told to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Romans 12. These are great places for us to start. But do you know, Warren Wiersbe in his book defines ministry this way. He says, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs 
through loving channels to the glory of God. Let me read that again. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Now, something to note here. The abilities and endowments differ from servant to servant, don't they? As we will see later in our study, God does not require the same results of our labor that he does of someone else. However, what he does require is a willing heart and a body that serves. Look with me at verse 16 and 18, and we'll see the servant's response. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise... He who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. The first thing that we notice is that every true servant of the Lord has abilities and spiritual endowments, right? But the second thing we notice in this passage is that every servant responds differently to the call or assignment that God has given him. Notice, there are two servants, double the amount, and one hides it away. Everybody's different when God gives them a call. Everybody is. Um, I'm immediately drawn back to my original thoughts of being a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home. And from the time that I was very young, I had one of the prestigious jobs in the house of going over next door and cleaning the church. Um, When I was small, I really didn't help much, but I was able to pick up some trash in between the pews. It wasn't that prestigious of a job, but when I had saw my father up there preaching, I wanted to be just like him. And so oftentimes I would get a chair and put it behind the pulpit, and I'd stand up there, and I'll, I'll preach to you my first sermon. I think I was about five, six years old. And I stood up there and I pounded the pulpit and I said, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't gamble. Amen. (laughs) It was a powerful sermon. I'm sure many of the moths turned from their ways at that point. But my original thought of being a pastor is I thought that would be a, a wonderful thing to do. But as I got older... And I saw the responsibility involved and the constant wearing of suits uh, in the particular denomination that I grew up in. There was this constant requirement to wear suits even as a small child. I wore suits and I was even tortured to the point that during the phase of the 70s when they went through the leisure suits. Remember that? As a young kid, I've got pictures of me in a leisure suit, you know. Big collars, looking cool, you know. Torture. As I thought of a lifelong career of being in a suit, having people contradict certain things about you, standing out in front of a church, patting kids on the hand, head, handing them candy, I thought, man, this is not for me. This is the last thing that I want to do. Now, over time... That changed. God got a hold of my mind and my heart. But the initial reaction to the call is, hey, man, I don't want to do that. There are certain tasks around our house. I don't know about your house. 
that no one wants to volunteer for, such as, maybe you can relate, taking out the trash. How many volunteers do you get to take out the trash? Not that many, do you? Or doing the dishes. Moms, how many times when the the sink is full, dinner is served, everything's cleaned off the table, the dishes need to be done, how many of you have tons of kids coming up around your feet saying, Oh, Mom, let me do the dishes, please. Tonight. Oh, if only tonight I could do them. Or maybe there's the more prestigious job of cleaning the toilet. There seems to be a lack of volunteers in that area. And also the volunteers to make up someone else's bed. Now, in our house, the way that it works is that either mom or myself have to give out the assignments. And the response that is most often heard is, Oh, Dad, do we have to? Is this the job that I'm really called to do? Now, our response is, I have so many other talents, Dad. Look at my coloring ability. Look. Our responses to the Lord's assignments tell us much about the condition of our own heart. When He commands, do we do it? If we do, do we do it the task with joy? And if we refuse to serve Him, what does that tell us about ourselves? Now, we might say, I'm too good for this assignment. Now, you would never say that in public, but you might think it. I'm too good for this assignment. I have so many other talents that are untapped. And why does he or she get to do all the cool things? Why are they always getting to go on mission trips? All I'm able to do is just stay back here and fund the mission trip. I can never get off from work. Or why didn't I get as many talents as that other person? This other person seems to have all the best gifts And I'm left with cleaning up. The faithful servant of the Lord sets his agenda aside and does his master's will, placing him first and above all of his own desires. That's the true heart of the servant. He looks at the master and for love of the master, he says, I will put my agenda aside and I'll do what you've asked me to do. Now, I'll tell you another story. When I first came to this church years ago, I had a a dream of being in the ministry. And God got a hold of my heart. And when I saw uh, lives being changed, I thought, this is it. Lord, if I get to do anything, let me be a pastor. I'll even wear a leisure suit again, you know. (laughs) Well, I went up north and uh, met a gal. We got married. And we're still married, praise God. And we started a little Bible study and a couple of Bible studies. And eventually a church grew out of that. And we planted a couple of churches. And it was exciting. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. It was great. And we saw God moving. I was preaching uh, two or three times a week, writing songs, being in the worship teams. It was exciting. But then I get a phone call one day and Skip asked me to come back and help out here. And I was torn because we had really seen some great growth in this fellowship. But we threw out a fleece and we said, you know, Lord, if you provide for us someone to take this ministry over, we'll do it. And so God provided a very capable candidate and he took over the fellowship and we came here. 
And I was so excited to come here because in many ways, Skip was the person who was instrumental in my life in, in calling me into ministry and really giving me a vision of what God could do with me. But as I came back here, it suddenly dawned on me that I was not going to be preaching anymore. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before, but I hadn't thought of it. (laughs) It was another problem is that Skip seemed to be doing such a good job. There was really no need for someone else. And one of the tasks that I was given when I first came was that of you get to oversee the ushers. And I thought, well, okay, that's pretty cool, I guess. You know, I'm standing out in the back of the service, back there in the foyer area. And then when I realized what that meant, I was horrified. (laughs) Folks, you want to know where the unsung heroes are in this church? They're the ushers. And I'll tell you why. We just stole your reward. We have Bob here who served Bob and Polly for 18 years in the usher ministry. But what it means is that you're the person that not only smiles and sets people down, but you have the wonderful job of saying, excuse me, sir, no drinks are allowed in here. Now, you would think that that's not a big deal. But you often get the looks like, you people are so petty. I can't believe that you would just let people come in here and drink and so forth. I'm sorry, we can't do that. You're also the person who has to come along if someone has a small child in here and you get to go up to them and say, excuse me, are you new here at Calvary? And the person says, well, yes, I am. Well, let me tell you about uh, the fact that we have a kid's church and we don't let children in here that are under a certain age. Now, folks, that is not a very popular thing to do. I know because I get the letters on a weekly basis. (laughs) Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And you're separating families. And you get all these mean looks and all this stuff. And when I realized what the job entailed, I thought, Lord, this is terrible. I mean, I can preach. I can even go back on the streets or something. But the thought of, of having to do this every week and to be joyous about it, I felt trapped. But over time, as I realized, you know, I couldn't get out of it, (laughs) I did. I tried. I would go to Skip and I'd say, you know, there's some really good guys here who are a lot better at this than me. And they have more of a servant's heart. And I I really did. And he said, no, I think you're the guy. (laughs) Well, the great thing is, is that over time... I've come to take ownership of this and I absolutely love it. And you couldn't pry it out of my hands unless it was the Lord's will. It's become something very dear. But our own desires have to be put aside for that of the Lord. Now look with me at verse 19 through 23 at the servant's reward. The question is often asked, is there any reward for faithful servant? This question was on the mind of Peter when he asked the Lord, Peter then said to him, See that we have left it all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you will have 
you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There's an old story of a careless Scot who had tossed a crown with particular monetary value into the collection plate as it was passing by, thinking that it was only a penny. When he saw his mistake, he asked to have it back, but the deacon refused. He pulled the plate away. And then, he, then the Scot grunted and said, Ah, well, ah, well, I'll get credit for it in heaven. Then the deacon responded, Nah, you won't. You surely won't. You'll only get credit for the penny. (laughs) That's kind of a funny story. I don't really know how it fits in here. (laughs) But in verse 19 of Matthew 25, he says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So... He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. And the Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me talents, two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. And the Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The third thing that we note in this passage is this. The faithful servant will always be rewarded for his service in God's kingdom. There's an old saying that reflects this truth, and I think it's true. It says, You can't outgive God. There's no way to outgive God. You're never going to serve more than He is able to reward you. But yet, oftentimes, we get caught up in the fact that we're leaving so much out or giving so much up of today's time or our abilities today when we forget that there's all of eternity that God has before us that He seeks to reward us. A good example is in Luke 21 where you have the widow's might. Remember there was a widow there who had came and she gave the smallest increment of money that you could. There were all of the great religious leaders coming and giving their tithes right when the horns were going off. Ta-da! You know. And then here was this widow. She comes up very quietly and she gives a little mite there. And you would think, what kind of reward would you have for someone like her? But think about it. This one act that she did before God has been lifted up as a memorial for all of us for eternity. She is one of the most famous people who has ever lived in the world. Now you think about it. I wonder what it will be like when you get to heaven. Walk around with your buddies. I've never seen this neighborhood before. Me either. Pretty big houses around here, yeah. Wonder who owns that house. It's pretty big. I think it's the widow's mite. Oh, yeah. Pretty nice. Well, you ought to see the backyard of that place. I wonder what her reward would be in heaven. And then there's Mary who anoints Jesus for his burial. 
He comes up in this very costly ointment and she comes in and she pours it on his feet and she wipes it off with her hair and her tears because she loves him so much. And someone had to stand around and say, well, this could have been sold and given to the poor. What a waste. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Talk about rewards. One simple act of love has brought her into the pages of history in the Bible forever. You'll never outgive God. If our greatest aim in life is to serve the Lord, there will be an ultimate end for us. And we find it over in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, looking at verse 1 through 5. He says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of that river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. There shall see, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there. There's no need of lamp, nor light of sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The greatest reward that a servant will ever have is living and serving in the presence of Almighty God for eternity. If your main desire is that of God, I just want to serve you. Man, I was a slave to sin. And now I've been brought into your kingdom, a child of God. I owe everything to you. And I want to give my life a ransom for you. Your reward will be that someday you will serve in His very presence. Does that sound exciting to you? It should. It sounds far-fetched, but that's where we're headed. There's a story of a five-year-old grandnephew that was brought to us by Barbara Lee of Goldsboro, North Carolina. She said the five-year-old nephew was obviously worried as he looked down the long aisle of the church where his aunt was to be married the following day. His grandmother had an idea. She said, I think I'll give a prize to the person who does the best job tomorrow, she told him. The reason she told him this is because typically the five-year-old ring bearers just sort of wander around, in and out through the crowd, throw the rings around. And so she tried to entice him with this reward. She said, we were all holding our breath the next day, but when it was time, the ring bearer performed without a hitch. When his grandmother told him that he had won the prize, he was both excited as well as relieved. He said, I was pretty sure I had it until Aunt Dana came down wearing that white dress and a horn was blowing and all the music was going on. Then I started thinking, well, maybe she might win. And oftentimes, man, you look around at some of the things that the servants around you are doing, the guys with the big talents and all the stuff, and you think, all I've got is my little talent here. 
Lord, will there be anything for me? We don't have to worry about anyone else stealing our prize. God will reward each one according to his own will. And we look forward to the words that say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Martin Luther said it very well when he said, our office is a ministry of grace and salvation. It subjects us to great burdens and labor, dangers and temptations with little reward or gratitude from this world. But Christ himself will be our, our reward if we labor faithfully. The faithful prize of one day seeing God face to face and having him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I look forward to that day. Now, a person's actions reveals what is in their heart. It always does. Wherever the heart is, the actions will follow. And this final section that we look at in Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 through 30, we see the wicked servants rebuke. And as we look at this, often as you read this, you think, man, this is kind of scary. I'm going to admit it. I don't know that I'm falling into the category of the great servant who did a lot with what God was given to, what God had given to me, and therefore I wonder what God will say to me. Will God look at me and say, wicked servant, wicked lazy servant? Look at verse 24. When he had received the one talent, he came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. When we first look at this guy, we feel sorry for him, don't you? How many of you kind of feel sorry for him? You think, well, you know, he didn't lose the money. He buried it, you know, he gave it back to him. What's the big deal? Well, at a closer look, we realize that his motives of his heart were not necessarily pure. First of all, he has an excuse. He says, I knew that you were a hard man. And the guy shuts it down when he says, if you knew that I was a hard man, why didn't you go put it in the bank and get interest? If you knew I was the kind of guy who expected something for nothing and was always trying to turn a profit, why didn't you take it to the bank? It really doesn't add up. You could have got at least possibly 6% interest back in those days. That was a good rate. (laughs) Then he goes on to excuse himself by saying, well, I was afraid. You know, I'm kind of a timid guy. And so here, here, you can have it back. The master's rebuke was very strong. And here the servant's heart is revealed. He lied because he cared nothing about the affairs of his master. He just did his own thing. That's the truth of the matter. If he would have realized, if he said, you know, I love my master, I want to do the best I can for him. I'm not very smart with figures and numbers and such, and so uh, I'm going to take it to the bank. Or I'm going to go talk to the feller over here who got a lot for his talents. But I'm going to try to do the best I can because my desire is to please him. What he revealed is that he didn't have a desire to please him. 
Now, the question always arises, what about this man's salvation? Was he saved? Because it gets kind of scary, doesn't it? If this guy was saved, what about that last passage where he gets thrown into the outer darkness? That doesn't sound like heaven much to me, Dave. Now, there are some who believe that this represents a believer who's sort of backslidden, but I don't think that's the case, and here's why. There are, as we mentioned in the beginning of the study, in the kingdom of heaven, those who are professors who are not actually born into the kingdom. They hang around, they're a part of the church, but they're not a part of the body of Christ. The reason we know that, that there's that particular passage in the New Testament that says, In that day, Jesus said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things, cast out demons and miracles in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, you that work iniquity, because I never knew you. And then in Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the tares and the wheat. You have the weed that looks like wheat and the two are growing up together. And one of the workers comes and said, Lord, you want us to pull out these tares because they're worthless. And he said, no, if you do that, you'll uproot everybody. Wait until the end of time or when the harvest comes and then we'll gather them all up and they'll be burned. And then there's the parable of the mustard seed, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed who was placed into a ground and it grew up into a, be a great tree and even the birds of the air came to dwell and rest in that tree, representative of those who were unclean, those who had no concern for the real kingdom. And then there's James chapter 2, and we'll soon close with this. Verse 18, he said, But some will say, You have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That isn't to say you're saved by your works, but the idea is that if there is no work that represents an abiding faith inside chances are that there is nothing inside. It is dead standing alone. And the other reason that I believe that he is not a believer is notice that ill treatment the servant has of the master in verse 30. Obviously, this man was not a recipient of God's grace. A final question, question and we'll close with a with a passage from Warren Wiersbe. What kind of servant are you? Not your neighbor, not anyone else, but what kind of servant are you? Are you for real? Are you just for show? Do you live your life with the idea that one day I will stand before the living God? great little book I'd encourage you to get is Warren Wiersbe on Being a Servant. And I'll close with this. Keeping in mind that the Lord is the final judge of our service helps us to free from the fear of people and the desire to please them at the expense of pleasing God. We can't please everybody, nor should we try. Our aim should be to walk and to please God. My experience is that God is easier to please than most people. He knows us intimately. He loves us perfectly. And therefore, he can evaluate your work 
accurately. Any, anyone who tries to serve the Lord will be criticized by both friends and enemies. Let's admit it. We probably do our own share of criticizing others. I'm not judging, said one critical Christian. I'm just a fruit inspector in the Lord's vineyard. Let's not forget Paul's warning. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. It's encouraging to know that God will find something to praise in each Christian's service. It's also encouraging to know that he sees our hearts, our motives, while others only see our actions. What doesn't suggest good intentions, that doesn't suggest that good intentions can compensate for bad performance. But what does encourage us when we've done our best and grieve because we could have done better, we may not think our service will endure the fire, but the Lord knows better. Let's pray. Lord, we commit to you to keeping our lives. And Lord, the talents, what you've given us in this life, ability as well as spiritual endowment, as well as ourselves, belong to you. And Lord, we know that there's only one life to live and it will soon be passed and only the things that are done for Christ will last. And Lord, we pray that our effort would be for your kingdom. Our heart would be to please you and to please you alone. We commit ourselves to you.